0: good morning church first thing you need is a bible if you didn't bring a bible with you please look in the seats around you there should be one near you if you don't have a bible at home take the bible you just found home with you we want you to have that we want you to read the bible during the week if you're new to the faith and you're not even sure where to start We would love, send me an email, we would love to get you connected and resourced and equipped so that you can read the Bible on your own and walk with God during the week as you hear His Word together. We are in 2 Corinthians, and if you're new to our church, you've only been here a few weeks, or as I met some of you are here for the very first time, let me explain to you where we are. What we normally do at our church, not every single Sunday, but our normal custom is to choose a book in the Bible because the Bible is a book, but it's also a collection of books. It tells one cohesive story written across about 1,400 years by about 40 different authors, some of them writing multiple books like the Apostle Paul. Today, we're reading one of Paul's letters to one of the first churches. This church had sprung into being not many years after the resurrection of Jesus. The people who are living in the ancient city of Corinth, modern-day Greece, you can visit the ruins of ancient Corinth to this day. You can see some of the things I'm going to describe to you for yourself, what remains of them some 2,000 years later. An unlikely church had sprung up in an unlikely place because the city of Corinth was a legendarily famous rich wealthy sophisticated and wicked place it had been so wicked in fact that it had become a verb in the ancient world one of our family mottos is that we want to live our lives in a way that our family name is never used as a verb well that guy garnered really hard oh he pulled a garner we don't want to use we don't want our family name use that way because your friends and sometimes your enemies will do that. They'll make your name stand for the dumbest thing you ever did in your life. That's exactly what had happened in the city of Corinth. People talked about Corinthianizing, which basically means throwing the reins away, just completely losing control, debauching yourself, going after the worst things, the most destructive things in your life. The city of Corinth was legendary for its idolatry, for its paganism. It was filled with temples. More on that in a minute. It had two very famous temples built in it, and they were occasionally torn down and rebuilt as empire shifted back and forth. But Corinth was known primarily for a very famous temple to the goddess Aphrodite. And scholars debate to what point this actually took place, but it is is a commonplace belief from the ancient world that the temple of Aphrodite practiced religious prostitution. In other words, you went to temple, you gave an offering, and a woman who was essentially a sex slave would have relations with you, and that and the drunkenness were considered part of the spiritual experience in good old Corinth. No wonder they gave Paul so much trouble. No wonder he wrote them so many letters. We have First and Second Corinthians in our Bible, Paul alludes to other letters he wrote them in, the two letters that remain for us in the Bible that God wanted us to have. But if you've been following along with us as we move through his letter, it has been a roller coaster of emotion with Paul. This church has frustrated him, angered him, brought him to tears, brought him to his wits end. He suffered along with them as he watched them fall back into the old life, celebrate old sins since they're all being forgiven by God. Let's give him a lot to forgive. This is awesome. He says he'll forgive anything we do, so let's do anything we please. They've actually profaned the Lord's Supper. They've sued each other. There's a gross sexual relationship in the church that not only apparently are they condoning, there actually might, actually, some factions of the church are celebrating it. There are false teachers stalking the church. I've told you so much about the claim that Paul himself is a phony. Don't listen to him. Listen to us. We're cool. Our lives are better. We're never in prison. We're never being beaten for our preaching. Listen to us. It's a lot going on in Corinth. And he spent these six chapters pleading with them of reconciliation with Paul and reconciliation with God. And now he's going to dig in in a very direct and specific way into the life that is continually calling them back. And you can summarize the whole sermon with this simple biblical idea. Walking with God means you can't walk with everyone else. If you're going to walk closely with God, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus and have Jesus as your boss, leader, Lord, and guide leading the way for you, that means you can't go with everyone else because not everyone is following him. Make sense? The minute I choose friendships and loyalties and close bonds, the minute I choose some, I have to surrender others because not everyone will be willing to go with me into that place. And this passage, this sermon is really countercultural. Here's why. Some of us grew up, some of us who are church kids, grew up hearing this passage with a very specific application, especially in our youth group. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But not all of us are church kids. Not everybody reads the whole Bible, not everyone pays attention to the hard stuff. This is some of the hard stuff. This passage is going to tell the Corinthians, and by extension, if you want to apply it to your own life, which you should 2,000 years later, it's going to force you to closely examine your relationships and see whether your relationships are influencing people for Christ or whether your relationships are influencing you to walk away from Christ. And here's the danger. One of the first Proverbs that people memorize, one of the first Bible passages that people memorize is found in the third chapter of Proverbs where we're told to trust the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways and He will direct your path. People love that, people quote that, and then God tells them they're wrong and then it's a whole other story. See, here's the thing. You've heard me say this before. It's a joke, but it's actually the way I live my life and the way you live your life, if you're honest. I pretty much think I'm right all the time. And then when I discover that I'm wrong, I change my mind, and then something magical happens. I'm right again. (laughs) And that's the way we all live. Rarely, sometimes, but rarely... Do people knowingly set out to do what is foolish and wicked? It happens. But the ordinary operating system is this is fine, this is fine, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this This will be okay, this will be okay, this will be okay, this will be okay, and then disaster finally strikes. As other people warned you, it would. We've got a lot of people in recovery from alcohol and drugs in our church, and I absolutely love that, and I absolutely love them, and one of them has taught me me a saying from the meeting, which is this, you get in that room and you say your best thinking got you here. Think about that for a moment. Nobody set out on any given day to ruin their life, break their parents' heart, make their life immensely more difficult. We all do what we think is best. Every person in this room, whatever you're doing it's likely that the vast majority of you are doing what you think is right. My invitation to you is to listen to Paul as he digs into the practical, personal lives of the Corinthians. It was left in Scripture for our sake. And ask yourself what you need to do to obey God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The first sentence controls the whole passage the rest is just explanation and justification of the first thing Paul told them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. To put it in common day were in In common day parlance, Paul is telling them, first of all, be separate. Now that you're Christians, be separate. You need to separate yourself from certain kinds of people. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What exactly does that mean when Paul tells them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? What is he referring to? Well, the... It's a very common biblical idea, this idea of separation that walking with God means you can't walk with everyone else, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. We're going to put it on the screen and you're going to read it with me. Read that with me, please. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Simple direct instruction, right? What's it mean? Well, Paul. Anytime Paul is writing in the New Testament, remember, his scriptural background is the Old Testament. He's reading from the Hebrew Scriptures. He's quoting them constantly, and they fill his mind. As the Spirit of God gives people new revelation beyond the Hebrew Scriptures, he's using very, very, very often the Old Testament to inform it and to direct it. And if you read the book of Deuteronomy, you find these really strange prohibitions. For instance, it says, do not yoke an ox with a donkey. That's all it says. And then it also says, don't mix different kinds of fibers in your clothing. With no explanation. It just says that. Now, why is that? Well, a couple reasons, but the one that matters most is all of the law was meant to remind Israel that God was holy and that they were separated unto him. In other words, when they went about their daily farming life, when they put on their clothing, constantly around them were reminders of the kind of people they were called to be, holy, separate, dedicated to God. And if you're unequally yoked, that's an ancient farming term from the old world, what that means is a mismatched partnership. It means that you've put two people together, two things together that cannot possibly go together. One of my mentors in seminary was teaching, preaching in a, in a remote, poverty-stricken third world nation where they still plow their fields as the Israelites did so many years ago. And they came to this passage and one of the local farmers with no study of the Greek at all says, well, that makes perfect sense. If we hooked up, if we yoked a cow with a water buffalo, that would be a disaster because the water buffalo could never fulfill his job. He could never use his strength if he's tied together with a yoke with a cow. This idea of separation is all across the Bible. It's been hidden from our eyes because of our cultural tendencies and our preferences. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17 tells us, to live differently now that we know Jesus. Read it with me, please. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Right off the screen, please. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world." And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't succumb to what your eyes want. Don't succumb to what your prideful heart wants. Do the will of God. That's how you will remain forever. It's not an isolated idea. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Paul wrote, another church in another difficult city in the Greco-Roman idolatrous world, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become, what's it say there? partners with them. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Read verse 11 with me, please. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, expose them. See the separation? Different church, different settings, two different apostles, two different disciples of Jesus, all telling you the same thing. If you're going to walk with God, you have to separate yourself from at least some people. To pull all this together, yoked means this. Yoked means to be tied together in what matters most, values, affections, goals, patterns of life, and beliefs. You can have a whole constellation of friendships without being tied together at the value, affection, goal, pattern, and belief level. But there are some people with whom the relationship you set up, for instance, marriage, other friendships, other relationships, inside and outside of work, may be the kind of relationship where they have a certain influence on you or the nature of the relationship and the work that you do together pulls you together and you will be under constant pressure to adopt their values, to take on their affections, to choose their goals, to pattern your life after theirs and to change your beliefs after their own. That's what it means to be yoked together. And Paul says, do not do that it does not mean to be clear separating from other christians over minor differences because christians are family it does not mean also withdrawing from non-christians completely because paul just told us we are ambassadors for christ this takes wisdom in other words and listen i don't need to tell you you can no, you live here too you've got the internet too Our culture is racing headlong in a direction completely opposed to God at pretty much every level. Commerce, entertainment, artistry, so much of it is just shot through with everything that is opposed to the person and the character of Jesus. One of my professors in seminary who had a big influence on me, he was an anthropologist, and he said, every culture is a prison of disobedience. And the cells are different in every culture, but every human culture that people build apart from God keeps them away from God in a particular way. That's where we're living. And there's been some reactions, both of them mistaken, overreactions to the increasing corruption in our society and in our culture one is very self-righteous christians have separated from other christians if they don't share every single belief and preference all the way down if every i is not dotted and every t is not crossed in exactly the same way those are compromisers they may not be christians at all we're pulling back ministerial organizations that were founded in the last 10 and 15 years that brought Christians together to spread the gospel are now breaking apart because even though they presumably agree on the gospel, they can no longer agree with each other on these secondary and tertiary matters. That's not what Paul has in mind because at the deepest level, if you're really a disciple of Jesus, we're family. God is our Father. You're my brother or sister. We are together. No, we don't agree on every single thing, but we together can be ambassadors for Christ, and we don't dare withdraw from the world. This is where God has placed us. Jesus said, you are the right light of the world. We are meant to be like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are not meant to hide the light of the gospel from the people who desperately need to hear it. So be careful of being self-righteous and withdrawing from Christians over minor differences and don't be overreactive and withdraw from the world altogether so that the witness that you have of Christ can no longer be seen and heard. That's an overreaction. That's not what Paul has in mind. What he does have in mind is if you are with Jesus, you can no longer walk connected at the heart and value level with people who want nothing to do with Him. Why, though? Why should Christians be separate from unbelievers? Well, Paul's going to tell us. Look back in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's another name for the devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? There's five questions there. Do you see that they're all trending a certain way? What Paul's telling you is you can't be yoked up with unbelievers anymore because number one, we as Christians have a different nature. The nature is righteousness versus lawlessness. The nature is light versus darkness, Christ versus Belial, believer versus unbeliever, the temple of God with idols. Now, those five questions are rhetorical questions. Our English teachers begged us to pay attention when they talked about such things. Most of us didn't pay attention, but a rhetorical question is a powerful thing. It's a very simple way, a memorable way, a powerful way too communicate truth to people. Parents excel at rhetorical questions. Parents say things like this to little children, do you want a spanking? (laughs) Now never in the history of children has someone said, yes, finally. Thank you for getting it. I've been working on it all morning. Come on over here, light me up. You'll feel better. It'll be good for me. I'll thank you someday when I'm a successful person. No, that's a rhetorical question. What it means is if you don't stop, you're going to get a spanking. These are all rhetorical questions. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Well, it can't. Those are opposite things. Light and darkness can't get along. Christ and the devil don't share anything. Believers and unbelievers are completely at odds with each other. The temple of God has no agreement with idols. If you really belong to Jesus, He's given you His own nature. You're not what you once were. Please understand that. A Christian is not a person who has adopted a different set of values trying harder. Christ said, He is life, He gives life. It's not just that you've adjusted a few of your beliefs and you agree that God made the world and you agree that people should treat each other with kindness. Those are all good and true things, but Christianity is way more than that. Christianity is the astonishing announcement of the good news that Jesus, purely out of love, died for people who were separated from God and the way he bridged the gap is to pay for their sins and give them his own life. And if you have Christ you are a new creation as Paul says in Corinthians. Old things have now passed. New things are now here. You're a new creation in Christ and you can't live with you can't live and walk as you once did. You now have a new nature. Secondly, Paul says we are where God dwells verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, and here's the Old Testament again, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, when you use that, it's much more than adopting a set of values. It actually is that the God who gave you life In the first place, the breath you draw is a gift from God. He now wakes you up, gives you new life spiritually, makes you path from spiritual death into spiritual life, and he chooses to make your life and our life together when we gather as a church the place where he shows up, the place where he lives. Verse 16 would have been stunning to the Corinthians because Paul said to them, we are the temple of the living God. Why was that such a big deal to them? Because someone writing 100 years after the days of Paul spoke of the temple of Apollo, the temple of Aphrodite, six other temples that were in the city, and 20 idolatrous images that dotted the city. Corinth was a city of idols. Corinth was a city of temples. Corinth was a city of many gods. And now Paul says to them, to people who have been accustomed to going to the temple, to paying the offering, to engaging maybe in gross sexual immorality as part of the worship due in their religion, listen, together we are the temple of God. Your life is where God chooses to take residence. You belong to Him now. You belong to Him individually, and we as a church together, as an assembly, what we're doing right now here, this is where God chooses to make Himself known. This is one of the places He chooses to dwell. It's amazing. Listen to it again. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. Verse 18 is the best part. And I will be a, what's it say there? I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Not only only do we have a new nature, not only are we now where God chooses to dwell, number three, the best part, to me at least, we are God's children. This is not a distant tyrant issuing orders from on high. No, this is a loving father who welcomes people into his family. That's why it says in chapter 7, verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Don't miss what it says in the first part of verse 1. Paul says, Not only are these instructions, not only are these commandments, these are promises. Be separate from them. Don't be unequally yoked with them and be cleansed from them. The call to be separate is based on two big promises. Don't miss this. God is calling you to live in this new way, separate from people, at least some people, people that you can no longer be tied together with. He's calling you to be separate because He has made you two big promises. Number one, you have fellowship with God. He walks beside you. He lives in you. You are his temple. You don't need to go to a place. The astonishing good news of the gospel is that God has come to you. It's no longer that you have to go to him to a specific place with a priest and a ritual and a liturgy and a sacrifice. No, God has made the sacrifice and God has now come close. And he welcomes us as we have been singing. We have fellowship with God. That's the first promise, and the second is this. Not only do we have fellowship with Him, it goes beyond that. We are His own family. We are sons and daughters. We are beloved, Paul says in verse 1. We are beloved sons and daughters of the Lord Almighty. Please understand that because we're getting to the part of the sermon where you may need to evaluate some relationships and see what you need to redefine or who you actually may need to separate yourself from. Some relationships need to be redefined. They need to be broken apart at the value level, at the heart level. Others need to be broken off altogether because that person is always going to be leading you away from Christ and getting you into trouble far away from him. Paul says be separate and he also says to be clean. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement and body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's a big sentence. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Does that make immediate sense to you? It didn't to me. What's the number one Bible reading tip here at Crosspoint? Slow down. So you're being told in verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. We've separated from people. Now let's be not only separate, let's be clean. And when we do that, Paul says, we will bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. And I read that said, hmm, what does he mean by that? Bring holiness to completion. And all of that is done in the fear of God. So I slowed down. I took my own advice for once. I slowed down. And I started studying. I read it in a couple different translations. And here's what he means. He means that from the moment God saves you, in a sense, you are holy. That means you're separated. You belong to him. You're his child, you're his possession, he is yours and you are his. You are sanctified, you are set apart for God. That's what holy and sanctified and holiness, all of those things means are words of separation. It means that something has been pulled out of the group, taken out of the mass and set aside for someone or something. That happens the moment you have Christ because Christ Himself is holy. And if you have Jesus, you have been set apart into the family of God. What does it mean then, as it says here in 7, verse 1, to bring holiness to completion? And what does it mean to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God? It means simply this that you live in increasing loving awe of god and you love him so much and you are so admiring of him he blows you away he overwhelms you you think he's so good you think he's so awesome that as you spend time with him you become more like him isn't that the way relationships work you admire people, you think people are cool, you think people are impressive, you think people are smart. you're delighted that they want to hang out with you, and you start taking on their values, their preferences, their beliefs. That's how it works. That's why it's so important that God explains Himself to us here as a father. Parents always want to know where their kids are going and who they're going to go with. Isn't that true? I'm going out. Where? No, oh, no, you know, I just said, uh, the guys, no, no. Which guys? Where? How long? When will you be home? Who else is going to be there? Oh, you know, Sparky. No, if Sparky's there, you're not going. <laughs> Why? Because we know Sparky is that one guy that fires up all the rest, and if Sparky is together, then terrible things will happen. We know this. We know that when relationships are connected at the heart level, when people are yoked together at the level of value and belief and love, people change. Here in the United States, we have a saying, show me your friends and I'll show you, you know this one, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mexico and Mexico, they say it a little differently. Mexico, where I grew up, they say this, tell me who you're with and I'll tell you you who you are. We become the people we spend time with. So Paul says, God has made you holy, has brought you into his family. You're now his own temple. Live in close relationship with him so that you become more like him. Another way to say it is this. Your heart has so much love for God that you don't have much room left for sin. It will always be one of those two things. Your love and awe and respect for God will crowd out sin, or sin will crowd out your love, awe, and respect of God. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord also means that you grow in godliness as you get older. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's just a, that should be, it often isn't, but it should be a natural spiritual progression that if you walk with Jesus for a long time and are paying attention to Him, if you're given more time, you'll become more like Him. Now, let's, uh, let's ask an honest and awkward question. In your experience, do older Christians who have walked with the Lord a long time always remind you of Jesus? did you hear it Uh, not really why because time in the family does not necessarily mean maturity you can be in the family a long time but you have to do what your dad says to mature sometimes people who have been with jesus for a long time do not appear to have benefited much from the experience The difficulties of life, the hardships of getting older, the pain and the suffering that they've gone through that they have not given to God, that God has not resolved and sweetened, and the burdens they have kept for themselves rather than casting them on the Lord have made them bitter and tired and cynical. Paul says, complete the holiness. You started with holiness now, he says, chapter 7, verse 1, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. One of the little sayings we raised our boys with was this, we don't, want to be, we don't want you to be the kind of guys who peak in high school. You know that guy? There's a few sitcoms that depend upon that sad caricature of a guy who's in his 50s and 60s, but his glory days are way back at Hillcrest High School when he was the man. May I suggest to you that some Christians peak as Christians right after they meet Jesus and they never ever grow in their first love? They're excited, man. They're fired up. Jesus made a real difference to them, but they didn't separate from relationships that were destructive to them. They didn't keep walking with God. They didn't complete their holiness they didn't grow in grace you should grow in godliness as you get older let me give you three very practical things and tell you what I think we should do about this what should you do about all of this well first of all be sure that you're really a Christian that's not me that's the apostle Paul 2nd Corinthians 13 verse 5 says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul is very conscious of the fact that one reason this church may have given him so much trouble is that a significant portion of them have learned the language and learned when the meeting is but they're not actually believers in Christ. Make sure, first of all, Don't go on your pedigree, don't go on, I was taken to Sunday school, I was raised in church, I know the lingo. No, are you truly following Christ? Is there evidence persuasive to you that you would gladly and confidently place before the Lord that you actually are a Christian? Number two, examine your relationships to see which way the influence is going. Because every relationship with your life represents either an ambassadorship for you to bring Jesus to them, or is the kind of yoke on your neck that is going to pull you away from Jesus? Make sure that you're always bringing the light, not moving into the darkness. And number three, based on what you find out, and this can be hard, you need to break up or build up relationships so that you can walk with God and fulfill His purpose. See, in the old temples of Corinth were a lot of dining halls in the temple complex. And people were invited there by their friends to have a feast, to offer prayer and worship in the name of the God, and that tied the fabric together. Paul clearly has that in mind, and he says, you can't go anymore. You're not like those people anymore. You've been separated at the heart and mind level. You're not like them anymore. You can't go to the old pagan temple. You are the temple of God. And the 21st century, I know because you've asked me about it. I got three questions in the parking lot before we started this service. Some of you are being put into positions and being asked questions that are going to test your wisdom and your resolve to behave like a child of God. So you need to make sure that you can tell which way the influence is going and then either redefine or end relationships so that you can be quite sure that you're walking with your father and fulfilling his purpose. Let's pray together. Friend, can I just ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a Christian for sure, for sure? Are you certain? If you're not, could I invite you to call out to Jesus for mercy? Tell him you've been tied up in your own best understanding following influences, doing what you were taught, maybe following a religion, practicing self-improvement, but it has not given you life. You are not certain that Jesus has forgiven your sins and given you eternal life. If that's your need, call out to him and ask him to save you right now. You call out to Jesus in genuine trust and repentance. He will save everyone who approaches him that way. And if you are walking with Jesus, brother, sister, you have any yokes on your neck that aren't the yoke of Christ? That don't belong to Him? That don't make you more like Him? You need to get that yoke off. You need to be an ambassador, but not tied in to people who are leading you away from